Hello everybody, welcome back to the WTF1 That Time When podcast. Today, we are discussing that time when Alan Prost almost joined a backmarker team. And what a shocker that would have been. My name is Matthew Gallagher and joining me in the lockdown audio booth where we're not actually together, but we are connected via souls. It's of course Tom Bellingham, WTF1 founder, and Dan Thorne, WTF1 website guru. How are we both? Well, hello there. What a fine day it is to be recording words on a machine. Lovely. I said before recording to say more than one word so that we heard what we say over Discord, and that is perfect from both of you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Right, so today, as I say, Alan Prost almost made a... Well, how much of it was his decision? We'll talk about that today. Uh, Because we're talking about that time Alan Prost was fired by Ferrari and almost ended up joining Ligier. Now, I get... I kind of want to throw out there, so say like you had a Ferrari road car, what would be the equivalent that he would go to? So if you have a road car of something really nice, what would the Ligier have been an equivalent of? Oh, let's think. Car that used to be good, but then is a bit rubbish by the early 90s. (laughs) I don't know enough about cars to to do that. Yeah, I'm not expecting an answer from you, Tommy. Let's 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 go with an Alpine A610. Wow, okay, we're going proper full model and serial number. Love it. Right, so let's talk about Alain Prost quickly as a career summary. His debut with McLaren was in 1980, and he was a a title contender with Renault. Uh, And then back to McLaren, lost a championship to to Lauda by half a point. I mean, how do you sleep at night losing a championship by half a point? Uh, But then he won three titles in five years, had a rivalry with Senna, and became F1's most successful driver at the time. I've actually had a lovely little sit-down chat with Prost, which was intriguing, uh, at Monaco. But anyway, any any words on uh, Prost's Prost career as he went to Ferrari in 1990? Yeah, I think it, by that time, you know, there was the rivalry with Senna was obvious, but I think he'd be basically become maybe the most complete driver at the time. Um, he, he'd basically started off his career as a really fast, talented driver, and then as years had gone on, had worked out how to apply that to basically winning everything. Um, and it wasn't until Senna came along that I don't think he really had someone who could compete with him and challenge him in terms of talent, I think would be fair to say, maybe. I don't really know enough about this era because it was before my time, but looking, thinking back through the champions of the sport and stuff, I guess this was almost like the start of the, like you say, complete driver where something Schumacher did a lot more in the future. But Formula One, and we've said it so many times in in the podcast and even even the last one about truly like you needing that luck. It's not just about being the quickest guy over a single lap. It's about playing the politics, playing, you know, what team you're going to go to, making sure you've got the right teammate. And I feel like Prost did that. And the fact that he could beat Senna, even though Senna was arguably a quicker driver, just by doing the talk, doing the stuff that not necessarily on the track, and getting into people's heads and doing all that kind of stuff. That that for me, that's how I see Alan Prost as one of those drivers that that showed that it's not about being the fastest guy on the track at all points to win a Formula One race. There's so much more to it than that. Yeah, when when he's. Senna first came to McLaren alongside him in 88, I think he quite quickly realised that in terms of pure pace, he wasn't going to beat Senna. So 
he decided to focus his ent- every weekend just focus on being quick in the race which is quite a sort of big thing to get over uh, in terms of the ego of a racing driver to accept that you're not as good as your own teammate in this area but to then work out a way where you can be better is sort of quite a quite an impressive thing to achieve i think especially when you're winning like you say winning titles and you look at the the stats that senna had in qualifying but then prost won more titles i mean you'd, you'd argue that he was in a in a better car for longer and whatever but it, it does show like you say that you can put ego to the side and and win win smart not by being as fast as other other people so I reckon a man from a more recent time that could definitely have taken notes is Fernando Alonso then of how to <laughs> to do the politics of Formula One uh, as well as the racing and, and that whole combined thing as you say it's the psychological aspect it's the it's making sure that the team's good and that you know it's they work with you and yeah there's there's a lot more to Formula One than just driving fast around a track and I think some some people maybe people that just watch it uh, at face value don't really understand um, but yeah, let's take a look at the Ferrari years. So the team hadn't won a driver's title since 1989. That should say 79, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, I was like, that's one year. 19... <laughs> I'm like Ron Burgundy. I'm just reading things. Dan, I'm trusting you on these facts. Don't trust um, me. The... Yeah, the team hadn't won a driver's title since 1979 uh, and the constructors since 1983. Uh, so you could say that the Ferrari team were, pre- were struggling. You know, they, they were not as... Well, they weren't as dominant as they were in the, the previous that time when that we spoke about in 2004, where they were winning everything. It, it was a lot harder for them back then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the turbo era, and they never really sort of got to grips with the turbo engines and, and everything that went with it, I don't think. Intriguing, intriguing. It's, I'm glad I wasn't a Ferrari fan back when I wasn't born. Uh, so Prost <laughs> came close in, in 1990, punted off by Senna at Suzuka. Would you say that was a, one of those moments that, that hits an F1 history compilation wheel? Yes, it has to, doesn't it? It's 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 possibly the iconic F1 moment in all history, arguably. Wow, huge statement from Dan Thorne. Would you agree, Tommy? It's probably one of the. I know you're you have very strong opinions, which we probably shouldn't go into too much. But the the is one of the worst the worst um, signs of Senna's character, which no doubt he was an unbelievable driver. But again, kind of showing that that. You, there's more to the sport than just being quick and prost prost was kind of playing the political game but in in 1990 we, there was a weird point system again wasn't there where it, it, i don't know how I, I don't actually know too much about the 1990 90 season but was ferrari really competitive that season or or were they was it prost kind of getting everything from the car to be able to match Senna in a McLaren. Yeah, I think the, the McLaren was a, a bit better than the Ferrari, but I think it was quite close. Um, but yeah, Pro, it, it was one of Prost's probably his best seasons in the sport, I think. Um, I think that was the year where he won from 14th on the grid in Mexico. Um, because again, he just decided, oh, I can't qualify this car well, let's set the car up for the race and was then untouchable. Um yeah, it, it was a close season. The Ferrari sort of slightly behind the McLaren, but but close, yeah. It's strange that normally with these things, a driver, so so Prost obviously knew that he was not going to get the treatment he wanted at McLaren and therefore had to move away from McLaren. And normally with these things, 
they go like a Lewis Hamilton, like went away from McLaren and it took a few years for the car to get good. It, it's almost strange that he jumped straight into that Ferrari and then they were they were in for a title hunt rather than it being like a, a him playing the long game of I'm going to build Ferrari around me and, and get the car to where it needs to be. Because if anything, they, they were worse in 91 and 92 and for the next few years. They were indeed, Tommy. Great little uh, turn into the next point, which was 1991, where they didn't win anything and the car <laughs> wasn't very good. Uh, and, and Prost criticised the team and was fired before the last race. What, why exactly was he fired? Was it because of the, there were some bridges breaking at this point? Yeah, it was, like I say, 91 was a bad season. The, they started the year quite poorly. I think they introduced a new car mid-season, which wasn't much better. And Prost started sort of throwing his opinion around and, and criticising the team. And I don't think it was a particularly happy environment at the end of that season. It's funny, you mentioned Alonso earlier as like how not to do things, but Prost kind of, I think he did a similar thing that year where he was just, you know, fed up and just, and he eventually called the car, he said the car was like a truck to drive. And, you know, you, you, the- you call a Ferrari a truck, the Italians and the Italian media aren't going to take kindly to that. And no, they're not trying to sell trucks, are they? They're no, sell, exactly. Uh, yeah, sports cars. Yeah, it's, so. cra- it's crazy though that, and I wrote the, exactly the same thing about Alonso that this this era them fire, firing Prost because he said the car was a truck. Um, you know, savage comments are made nowadays about about the team and stuff. Like people like Fernando Alonso wouldn't have lasted two races if he couldn't have said a bad word about his team um, without getting fired. So. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy to think that Ferrari were that proud that they'd even fire a world champion and arguably one of the best, if not the best, in Formula One. I think that just shows how bad it was, though, wasn't it? I mean, clearly, the relationship wasn't working at this point, and uh, mm. very much diving into that Alonso arena of. Well, we, we don't know. We don't know behind the scenes what exactly happened, but if you I still don't think anyone's as bad as Alonso at breaking bridges in in Formula One. But <laughs> we interrupt this that time when podcast for a very brief chat about our sponsor for this episode, ExpressVPN. When you're browsing online, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited, even in incognito mode. That's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. Most of the time, I don't even realise I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background and is so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today by visiting our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash WTF1, and you can get an exclusive three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash WTF1. Now, back to the podcast. Let's take a look now at 1992 season. So all the top seats were were taken, uh, and and Prost planned to take a sabbatical, because obviously, you know, he's a a world champion. He's not going to... Not just going to go to any any old team, uh, but Renault wanted him to remain on the grid, and a test was set up with Ligier, which had just got the highly rated Renault engines. So, would you say it's fair that Ligier were getting a little bit of hype at this point, or, or the fact that you know they they could be further up the grid than maybe first thought? Well, uh, Ligier had 
they were a, a winning team in sort of the 70s and 80s, but then they'd, they'd slipped back into sort of nothingness and hadn't scored points for years by the early 90s. And they, they just weren't very, weren't very, they weren't a great prospect for any drivers, to put it mildly. Um, but yeah, getting Renault engines was a big deal because when F1 went, ditched the turbos and went back to the sort of naturally aspirated era, Renault came in with a V10 and it was, it was pretty good. And, you know, by the sort of middle of the 90s, everyone was on to V10s and Renault were one of the first to, to go into that sort of setup for their engine. Um, so I, I think it was probably a bit more optimism in, in 92 about them. But, you know, they, 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 you wouldn't go there expecting to really score podiums, let alone win. Okay, intriguing. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like they've got a, an engine boost. We could be a little bit further up the grid, but don't no promises. It's not going to be a championship. However, if there's no top seats available, is this a, is this a punt worth taking? I imagine is what was going through Prost's mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's worth you know unlimited testing back then. If you've got an opportunity to drive a car and see what it's like, you're not going to lose anything by spending a couple of days seeing what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah. And all, so, the, um, all the drivers always complain, don't they, that they don't get enough uh, time actually driving the cars. So I'm sure a lot of f1 drivers especially now with with covid uh, i mean even if you asked lewis hamilton if he wanted to drive the williams he'd probably say yes because he's desperate to get in a formula one car and do some laps yeah i mean <laughs> he gets in and goes actually oh, i'm all right <laughs> i mean also you got you got to consider you know renault at this, to- at this point renault were powering williams which was now the top team in f1 and prost is probably at this point thinking i want to drive for williams so if renault is saying oh, do you want to, you know, we'd like to see you on the grid. Do you want to test this Ligier? He's not going to say no in case that jeopardises his chance of a Williams seat down the line, which he ended up getting in 93. So, you know, he might not have had any intention of racing for Ligier, but again, the politics of it, drive, testing the car, what's he got to lose? Sneaky Prost, always, always thinking about it, isn't he? Yeah, he's a clever guy. <laughs> clever guy. God, back, back in the day, day being able to test an F1 <laughs> car whenever you want. God, that was that was the life, wasn't it? Jeez. Uh, so looking at the test, um, it was at Estoril in the Ligier JS37 in January 1992 and initially used Eric, is it Comas? Is that Comas, how you say it? yes. Boom, smashed it. Pronunciation on point. Uh, used Eric Comas' helmet to try and avoid attention. I mean, that that's one way to... What did he did he walk into the to the arena with the helmet already on? Was it was it very much like a this this isn't happening? This is very much behind closed doors. We want as little people to find out as possible. Yeah, that was basically it. Um, the funny thing is as well that if Prost did want to sign for Ligier, he would have been replacing Comas. So it was kind of like, oh hey, can I borrow your helmet in case I take your job? Sort of thing, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, the thing is that Prost is quite a distinctive looking guy and everyone quickly noticed that suddenly he was this really short guy with, you know, distinctive features through the visor and realised that it wasn't Comas and that it was Prost. Intriguing stuff. So I'm sure that hit the, the news headlines pretty quickly uh, when everybody started to realise what was going on. And he then used his own helmet on day two. Uh, and it was two seconds faster than I imagine the team. Is it Bootson? Thierry Bootson, yes. Bootson, yeah. And he's uh, not so slow. He's not a not slow, slow driver. So no, yeah, no, no. Pretty, he was a race winner. For he was Williams, a race winner. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So Prost just rocked up. Yeah, I can smash this. Two seconds quicker. Your car isn't actually that slow. Everyone's just rubbish. And then that was it. So then he had to make the decision. 
which of course was was the main thing around around this that time when and negotiations negotiations continued up until the first race. So what do you think those ne- those negotiations involved? Him going, yeah, I might do it, but just add a few more zeros, or or how do you think it was going uh, and unfolding? Well, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that he ever seriously would have considered it, to be honest, because you know a top driver going to a midfield car can be a worse career decision than taking a year out because you know if things go badly then all of a sudden you know Williams might think oh actually we don't want this guy let's get someone else younger instead but you know sitting out for a year he's still got the sort of the legend of being Alain Prost and his reputation stays good if you like. Yeah that's fair I guess when you look at it I don't know if it was it was different back in the day to, to sort of modern F1 but you feel like if you fall out of the F1 circus, unless you're like an Ocon who's a highly rated young prospect, people like Hulkenberg, for example, you know, this that might be the last time we ever see him. So it's still a risk, isn't it, either way to say, oh, I'm going to take a year out. I'm sure the demand will be there uh, later on. But w- was it the fact that Prost had that aura where he didn't really ever have to worry about getting back on the, on the grid? Yeah, I think so. Didn't he play... Um, I don't know what the situation at Williams was obviously this was quite a controversial era for Williams where they were dominating and they actually did did they fire Mansell or did he go no Mansell Mansell was uh Prost teammate and didn't get on with him so when I think during the season Uh, during 92 that Williams said hey we got Prost driving for us next year Mansell said oh no screw this and went to go to IndyCar instead of being Prost teammate (laughs) yeah fair enough and again, he. Th- this is where the whole Alan Prost thinking about everything, that, you know, the the whole picture and how he can win the title. He didn't he veto Senna joining because didn't they want Senna as well? Yeah, he, he managed he to get vetoed, a one year veto on Senna being his teammate in '93. <laughs> so he basically had one year in the best car by quite a considerable margin with. Damon Hill in the car who was the test driver and had barely even done any F1 races so it was pretty basically a rookie for all all sense and purposes and yeah that and then like you say he obviously quit the year after but again it's Prost playing that game to be like this is my chance to return I want to win the world championship I'm going to do everything I can and to win the world championship I need the best car I need Ayrton Senna not my teammate I need a driver that's not going to beat me, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Intriguing stuff. So as you say, he took a sabbatical, decided not to go with Ligier, uh, and then used his Renault connections to join Williams uh, for 1993. And taking a look at Ligier's season, uh, which is quite interesting to look at, they, they had a vast improvement. So with the with the new Renault engine, um, they, they managed points with both of their drivers, uh, and they managed eighth in the championship, which when you look at the fact that they weren't scoring any points for for a number of years, clearly it was a step in the right direction. And I I guess it leaves you wondering how would Prost have actually done in that Ligier if he was actually one and a half, two seconds quicker than, than his, than his teammate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apparently there's stories from the whole year that whenever sort of Comas or Bootsing would achieve a reasonable result, that uh, the team, the engineers would look at the times and work out where Prost would have finished if he had been in the car. Um, <laughs> oh, that's demoralising, isn't it? And uh, I read somewhere online, someone actually worked out, like if it was between one and a half, two seconds quicker than Comas and Bootsen, if Prost had driven for the team, he'd have been, you know, regularly fighting for podiums with Benetton and Ferrari. And, you know, who knows, maybe even 
with Prost's skill and experience, maybe the odd win. But that would have been a story and a half, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this was an era where I think it's fair to say that the performance gaps between the drivers now now everyone goes through these you know the 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 formula ladder if you like and do so much kind of fitness and training but this is an era where there was a lot bigger a difference between the drivers and and a good driver could make such a huge difference in the car so well, yeah back then you'd have, you'd have a fag some some people have a fag wouldn't they before the race yeah exactly Whereas, <laughs> you know this one they they have proper conditioning and and they're very much in the they're, they're, I guess there's no different uh, differentials in terms of their physical performance it's all down to actual skill isn't it yeah, the Whereas pay, there was a lot more variables back then yeah the, exactly the the pay drivers of the mid 90s were not Formula 3 champions like Lance Stroll is, they were very much, do you want to drive? And then were seven seconds a lap slower and didn't qualify for races and stuff. So different era, and it would have been really interesting to see how how Prost would have done in it. It would have been a really interesting story. But like you say, it, it it's, a, it's a risk. I guess it's a risk if he hadn't done well or people kind of thought, well, even though they wouldn't, but he's not winning in Ligier, so can't be that good, even though they wouldn't have thought that. But he's one of those drivers that, because he took a year out, people are like, oh, well, Prost is going to come back. A bit like Alonso now. People people are remember remembering Alonso as a world champion. Now he's not in the sport mm. and, and not the kind of lowly places that he was getting <laughs> for the McLaren because he, he couldn't do anything in the McLaren because it was such a crap car. Yeah, exactly. A calculated risk for sure. Will we see Alonso back on the grid? That's another story uh, altogether. <laughs> but is that it? Is that all done? Are we good? Have we got out everything we need to? It's strange. Uh, one thing that wasn't written in the sheet that I thought was quite strange is that Prost ended up buying this year. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Why not? So yeah, if if people have listened, been listening to that time when. For a long time, I think one of the very first ones we did one on Prost, didn't we? Where they were in the kind of the tail end of Prost, uh, but we go into Prost GP and how that all kind of formed. So feel free to go listen to that one if you haven't yet. But yeah, Lovely. Prost ended up buying buying Ligier in ninety seven, ninety six, ninety six, four ninety seven. Lovely little plug. Wonderful. <laughs> well, that's it. We're done for that time. When. Please do send us your stories, your topic ideas, whatever you'd like us to, to cover in this series uh, using the hashtag WTF1podcast. Don't send us an email. It's just long. Just just get 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 involved. Involved? Involved on social media. Hashtag WTF1podcast. And we will. We always read your suggestions and we, we very much put it in the pot of ideas, don't we? Absolutely. Indeed. Make sure you uh, give us five stars because we deserve nothing less on wherever you're listening. Uh, leave us a review as well. And that is it. We are done. Thank you so much for listening. I almost said watching, but I didn't. Listening. And we'll see you for another That Time When podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Ta-ra. Bye-bye. 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 B